Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers. And to everyone who has already bought something from our store, please leave a review as it really helps future customers have confidence in our shop. Cool. So this week we're doing a fossil that we actually tried to do as like our third episode, but for some reason we like, after recording it and stuff, we were just like, this isn't perfect and we did something else instead. So I'm excited to revisit it. Yeah, it was kind of funny like looking at our old script and being like, this is one, unbelievably short, (laughs) and two, (laughs) I like didn't write down my sources for anything so I was like trying to figure out where the heck I got any of this information and like it's only a year ago but it honestly feels like like I'm there's a total stranger writing (laughs) research that makes no sense it was like a year and a half ago almost oh yeah I guess that's true yeah our method for this podcast has evolved which you know it should definitely we used to aim for like 10 to 15 minute episodes (laughs) And and now we just don't care. We go on. <laughs> it's it's however long it is. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited. I to be honest, don't really remember this well, so it'll feel Neither like did I. new to me again. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. Well, let's dive into it. So we're talking about the Acanthostega. Just FYI, I feel like we didn't say that, but it was in the episode. Oh yeah. Title. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the title. They know. Yeah. So when you bring an Acanthostega fossil to Blathers, he'll say, The Acanthostega, said to be one of the earliest amphibians, it existed well before dinosaurs. Because they lived as fish not long before, they still had gills and very webbed hands. To toss away the life they knew and venture onto unknown lands, they must have been very brave. Hmm, does it still count as bravery if you have no understanding of what you're doing? Okay, also, we don't usually talk too much about Animal Crossing on this podcast, which is kind of funny, but just wanted to, like, (laughs) give a shout out to the the new huge, like, 2.0 update that's coming on November 5th. I don't know about you all, but I'm just very excited to, like, get fully back into Animal Crossing again with all this new stuff and to have Brewster in the museum, got another bird in the museum, and just, like, yeah, lots of new updates. So I'm excited. Yeah, that should be good. I just wanted to say that quickly before <laughs> we can get into it. Um, yeah. That's true. I guess we'll have to, like, play it when it comes out and reflect on the show. Yes, definitely. Um we have to do some kind of thing to celebrate. I'm, yeah, I'm super excited. Also, my dog is barking a lot in the background. I have a puppy at home. Sometimes they play a lot and they get jealous of each other and they bark. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. Uh, I hope no one can hear that, but yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, cool. Well, 
shall we dive into the Acanthostega facts? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Blathers is like kind of right. It's kind of not right. It's also confusing. So no shame on Blathers for not being totally accurate. But yeah, let, let's get into it. So Acanthostega was this large salamander fish looking creature that is essentially one of the earliest known tetrapods. Tetrapods being animals that have four limbs. This includes everything from mammals to birds to reptiles and amphibians. And if they don't have four legs today, like snakes or whales, they're still considered tetrapods because they lost their legs secondarily. So they had ancestors that had like limbs. But prior to legs and limbs, our ancestors had fins. So Acanthostega lived around 360 to 370 million years ago, and from what we can tell, it was largely aquatic with gills, feet that worked well for paddling, and a wide tail that helped it swim. So very similar to what Blather said. You know, he was he was right for the most part, but Acanthostega was not really, not really terrestrial yet, but we'll get to that later. It lived in shallow waters with lots of algae and vegetation that were really attractive to plenty of prey for it to eat. Because this water would have been really difficult to swim through, it had all this vegetation in it, mud, and was pretty shallow. Its ability to breathe air and locomote across land, if poorly, was useful in finding prey. It also had scales on its belly, but nowhere else on its body, so this likely helped protect its belly as it scooted across the ground. And judging by details in the bone growth, it looks like it took upwards of six years to become a fully grown adult, which checks out with other similar species we know of, which probably live to be between 10 to 20 years old. Okay, cool. And speaking of the fossil, I guess, who originally found or like discovered the Acanthostega? It was initially discovered in 1933 in eastern Greenland and named by Eric Jarvik in 1952. But it was really Jennifer Clack's discovery and description of a group of juvenile Acanthostega in 1987 that caught the attention of the scientific community. Because these Acanthostega had apparently been washed out by a flood out into the land, and given the dry climate at the time, the pool they were living in probably dried up and they died. So there was like this nice little collection of them to find all fossilized. Now this find by Clack has added a lot to our knowledge of tetrapod evolution. Yeah, could you go into that more? Like, how did tetrapods evolve? Up until really the 80s and the 90s, humans didn't have a lot to go on to tell where we came from. So the first fossil evidence of this history was a fish called Eusthenopteron, which had these like strong fleshy fins like a coelacanth or a lungfish. And the infamous Edward Cope was the first to propose this relationship in the late 19th century. We'll talk a bit more about Eusthenopteron later. It used to be thought that the way fish evolved limbs was by first leaving the water. So maybe they were in a pond that dried up and fish that were able to drag themselves out and into a new body of water to reproduce passed their abilities along and eventually animals began to evolve for a semi-aquatic lifestyle and then to a terrestrial lifestyle. Rather, what seems to actually have happened was that tetrapods evolved feet and other terrestrial features before they left the water. So they weren't really being like forced out. <laughs> but to understand this, I have to go way back here because we have to talk about like when Acanthostega existed. So let's bring ourselves back to the Devonian era, a time that started 419 million years ago and occurred after the Silurian. 
The Silurians saw some of the first plants begin to show up and the first terrestrial animals. And at this point, terrestrial animals were composed of arthropods like centipedes, millipedes, and spiders. During the Devonian, the land remained relatively dry and empty, with some exceptions. While the Silurians saw mostly lichens, hornworts, and mosses growing, the Devonians saw the diversification of vascular plants like ferns and horsetails, which could disperse their spores through the air. And eventually, these plants began to develop roots and leaves, and eventually seeds. Apart from these plants, only arthropods seem to really have occupied the land, and so, yeah, there's just not a lot there. The Devonian oceans were a totally different story. Here, life was booming. It had all kinds of sharks and fishes and even cephalopods like ammonites. So lots of cool stuff there. And among those fish were some of our earliest ancestors, these weird fish amphibian tetrapod creatures. Um, And that was what Acanthostega was. It took time for vertebrates to move to land because, for one, they couldn't breathe air. And another thing was they didn't really have any way of moving around on land. Their spines weren't able to support their weight well, neither were their arms, and they didn't have like a way of locomoting and pushing themselves forward. So all of that had to come about in order for them to, you know, make a home on land. And so here's what we think happened. So Eustheropteron was a fish discovered in Quebec in the 1880s. This fish appears to have had relatively strong fins that were good at helping it move through shallow water to hunt after its prey. Eustheropteron is considered to be a lobe-finned fish, like a coelacanth. So this was the start of it all, probably. At least it begins to suggest to us what might have happened. I want the listeners to understand that these species I'm talking about aren't necessarily our direct ancestors, but they might provide suggestions for what kind of adaptations were occurring around this time that helped species survive and ultimately brought them to occupy a home on land. So in this case, a fish begins to support itself in shallow water with those strong fins, and it finds survival in this strategy. So maybe other animals are starting to do this too. They're just starting to develop those structures in their body that supports them in not just a water environment, but also a waterless environment. And this leads to 1930, uh, which is the time when Ichthyostega was discovered. This is a 364 million year old fossil in Greenland. It looks very similar to Acanthostega. So it's like this chunky salamander. (laughs) Like that's the best way I can describe it. It's relatively large and it has a fully developed pelvis and somewhat strong limbs. But those limbs still weren't strong enough to get it sort of doing more than like sliding around beaches kind of like a seal like it's using its front legs to slide across the beaches so it's not like fully walking around yet it also had a very thick paddle tail that suggests that it was probably spending most of its time in the water even at this point so while ichthyostega was the second discovery to make suggestions of this transition from water to land it was also almost too far along in that process of terrestrialization to give us a clear idea of the sort of in-between between a fish and a four-limbed, like, land creature. Okay, yeah, so this is kind of how they evolved legs and kind of the bone structure to support themselves. But what about lungs? Like, where did those come from? And when did animals begin to develop the ability to breathe air? Yeah, like Ichthyostega did have primitive lungs at this point, which is really cool. 
exactly how lungs developed is kind of hard to figure out because of the soft tissues. Lungs, they're very like squishy uh, and so they don't tend to last 400 million years. Uh, what does preserve better are these tiny holes behind the eyes of most fish. These holes are called spiracular tubes and think of them like almost like a nostril-like appendage uh, that gets water to the gills. And where these holes are located can indicate indicate the degree to which a fish might have been breathing air. Because often these tracts are located on the sides of the head, kind of where we might imagine like ears on a fish. But some fossils indicate those holes started migrating to the top of the head like a blowhole. And this tells us that perhaps this fish was not just acquiring its oxygen from the water around it, but also from the air. Because, of course, as an animal comes up to breathe, the top of its head is the first thing to reach the surface. So it makes sense that it would have a breathing apparatus up there. And strong legs may also have helped this motion of pushing up against against the surface of the water. So it's thought that maybe sort of having stronger fins would help them sort of push up and breathe. And maybe that eventually facilitated legs or limbs. So Eusthoropteron had these spiracular tubes at the top of its head, as did Ichthyostega, although it and a similar and very famous species of sort of amphibian fish called Tiktaalik both had larger holes closer to the back of the head, where it actually probably led to their primitive lungs. So evolutionary biologists think that maybe these lungs developed from swim bladders, which is an organ in fish that's filled with air and helps control buoyancy in fish. Over time, maybe the air in the swim bladder got better and better at transferring oxygen to the bloodstream and eventually evolved into lungs. So that's kind of what we're thinking here. Okay, so they had kind of like a combination of gills and primitive lungs? Yeah, they had both of them at the same time. Uh, So eventually, like pretty much all the, the species we're talking about today had both gills and lungs. Why did they even bother breathing air in the first place then if they had both. Yeah, like it seems that there just wasn't enough oxygen in the water. Like it it became really useful to be able to utilize both air and water in your consumption of oxygen. Because during the Devonian, there were periods of very low oxygen levels in the water and in the air. Like some estimates show that we only had about 12% of an oxygen content content in the air during parts of the Devonian compared with 21% today. So that's a very significant difference. And if there's less air in the atmosphere, like less oxygen in the atmosphere, there's also going to be less dissolved into the water. So this may also have been exacerbated by the fact that we now have plants on planet Earth. And as those plants die, they fall into water and start decomposing. And that also uses up a whole bunch of oxygen in the water. So that's making the issue even more difficult. And then to add on to that, animals like Acanthostega were living in very warm, shallow waters, which are also naturally going to have less dissolved oxygen. So if you can find a way of acquiring more oxygen, you're going to be able to function better and have more energy. So it was very beneficial for them to yeah, develop lungs and be able to breathe air. Oh, and the other thing too is if you're going to be living in these vegetation-rich, shallow environments, your predators are going to have a hard time reaching you and you're going to find a lot of new sort of food niches to occupy so there's way more prey there. You know, sharks and things aren't going to come and eat you all the time. So if you can figure out a way to live in these oxygen-poor environments, you are all set. And so how does Acanthostega fit into this, I guess, like, 
evolutionary mix. Yeah. As I said before, our best ideas of the terrestrial transition was coming from Eusthropteron and Nicktheostega. And one was too fishy and one was like not fishy enough and we wanted a transition fossil. And Acanthostega proved to help with that, at least at first. So Acanthostega's mix of terrestrial adaptations and a clearly aquatic body really suggested that limbs came around while our ancestors were in the water, not the other way around. And this is contrary to the belief that I mentioned before that fish were somehow dragging themselves out of the water to get to different water bodies. So we were thinking that Acanthostega was probably more closely related to the fish ancestors than Ichthyostega was, but then things got really weird. So Jennifer Clack, who I mentioned before, she was pretty much the main expert on Acanthostega. Um, Unfortunately, she just passed away last year of cancer, but she made some really incredible discoveries, including a collection of juvenile Acanthostega in Greenland that I mentioned before, the ones that sort of drowned um, in sort of a puddle and they were all found together. And by looking at these juvenile fossils, she and other paleontologists noticed that the juvenile Acanthostega looked a lot like the adult Acanthostega, which might sound really obvious, but it was really helpful in determining the, I guess, level of development that Acanthostega had for terrestrial environments. So Acanthostega and Ichthyostega are both thought to have lived around 360 to 370 million years ago. And we used to think that Acanthostega was the more basal lineage or the one that was more closely related to fish because Acanthostega's body was more built for the water. Like Acanthostega's ankles couldn't support its weight out of water. And even though it had primitive lungs, those lungs weren't supported by a chest cavity that could prevent the destruction of the lungs if it left water. So by looking at these juvenile Acanthostega, Clack and other researchers around 2009 began to show that Acanthostega had features that might look more fish-like, but actually had bone and muscular structures resembling more modern tetrapods. So some of these features weren't even seen in Ichthyostega. All of this to say that Dr. Clack has basically said that it's possible Acanthostega is actually a tetrapod that returned to the water, meaning that there might be a missing link out there of a tetrapod that was terrestrial that developed way earlier than we even have evidence for. So in order for an animal to have returned to the water, it first had to like leave the water and somehow make its way back, which is really exciting to think. Wow, that's so interesting. I would not have expected that and... I guess it just shows how much is still kind of up in the air. That's sort of a pun. <laughs> pun <Yeah>, intended. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's really confusing too because there's so many like tiny little bones that they're looking at to figure out exactly how these animals developed. It's it's really complex and ever evolving and it's actually kind of tricky trying to find out what the most recent information is. So you know, because there's just new research coming out constantly on these animals. And of course, now we also have a whole bunch of other discoveries that have made big waves. Like Tiktaalik was a big like fossil discovery because it was much more fish-like. Uh, it was sort of in between the fish and Acanthostega. And so that's really helped our understanding of, of these animals. And it's just a very cool, it's a very cool field. But yeah, we just really don't know much about how terrestrial vertebrates developed. But 
there are many researchers who think that Tiktaalik, Acanthostega, and Ichthyostega may all have just been examples of evolutionary lines which adapted to land independently of one another, just using similar evolutionary tools. So it's just this puzzle that is gradually coming together. So yeah, I mean, it's I think it's important to remind people that like, yeah, this could have been happening all over the world and different animals and just all all with the result of everything that came on land after, which is just so cool. Like, Acanthostega might just look like this meaty big salamander and not honestly all that unfamiliar from animals we see today, but this is like a crazy old animal and it's wild we even know about their existence because it was millions and millions and millions of years ago. And the other funky thing is, Acanthostega might not be our great-great-great-grandmother, but she might look really similar And that just makes me think that we all have this like DNA inside of us that are remnants of the DNA found in this weird ancient amphibian fish. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. I always think about whales too as like something that left the water and then came back and like being marine mammals and everything. It's super cool. I always try to find a way to talk about whales, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we we must have whales. I don't think we've talked about whales enough recently. No, yeah, because there aren't any whales so we always have to try to find a way to shoehorn it in but (laughs) yeah I mean that was so cool it's just such an interesting story and like you learn the whole story and then you find out oh it might have actually been like a lot of different stories yeah yeah a lot it definitely is a lot of different stories very cool well thank you so much Olivia and thanks everyone for listening don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.